Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit us online at nwgospel.com forward slash citizens. Hello, hello, Citizens Youth, what up? How you guys doing? Oh, that is so unnecessary and unappreciated. How you guys doing? Yeah, are we, are we awake? <clears throat> are we awake? Everybody in that back row, move up a row. Stand up, let's go. Oh, jump the row. Wow, look at you, man. Look at you. Move up. Hey, uh, my name is Sam. Hi, Sam. Nice to see you. And so tonight... Tonight, we're doing something special here. We actually do this every single night. And so really quick, ground rules here. Ground rules, because uh, there's a lot of new people. Like those in, hey guys, sit, sit down. Let's go, let's go. Speaking of new people, everybody say hello, new people. Hello, everyone. Look to your left. And if they are not a new person, say hello anyway. Hello, new people. Because you're a new person in Christ. <laughs> See what I did there. So check it out. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. For the next few moments, we're going to direct our energy up this way. And what we do tonight and every single Wednesday is that we open up the Bible. Look at that. That is proper posture. We open up the Bible and we're saying to ourselves, God, what do you want to say to us tonight? Lord, what do you want to say to me tonight? And the way that God speaks is through his word. And so look at my sister Grace here. This is what I call the eager posture. We should like, that'd be such a funny skit, like the five different types of citizen students. This is the eager posture. Bible open, pencil in hand, dabbed, ready to take notes. Not this dab, dab the pencil, right? I don't know the other four types. I'm going to work on it though. And we're going to get back to the skit. Is that cool? So everybody show me your best eager student, eager student. We're going to work on it. You're all a hot mess. I'm not going to lie. We'll work on it though. But all right, here's what we're going to do tonight. Open up your Bibles, Colossians chapter three, and we're going to continue through our series called Built Up. And so I want to take y'all on a journey tonight. I want to take you back to a day that all of you have experienced, though I doubt any of you actually remember it. Okay. I want to take you back to a day. So I need your imagination caps on. I'm taking you back to a day that you were born. All right. How many people remember this day? <laughs> yeah, you do. Like, I'll never, like, what if we were like blessed with like superhuman memory and like you actually remember every single day of your life, including day one? Wouldn't that be traumatizing? Like, dude, imagine, it's like you have a photographic memory too. Dude, like imagine your worst day of like your, your mom waking you up at like six in the morning and you're like, I was having the best sleep. You know what I'm talking about? But imagine if like all you ever knew in your life was sleep and then you got woken up by your mom. Like that's what being born is like, I imagine. That's why every baby is crying because it's super disrespectful. <laughs> Baby's like, I was chilling up in there. What are you doing, mom? She's like, I'm trying not to die. So I want to take you back to the day that you were born. And I want you to think about this. The day that you were born, each and every single one of you was thrown into a world of relationships. Every single one of you, the day that you were born, the day that the doctor looked at you and said, well, he's breathing, and then they slapped you on the bottom. 
every single one of you was immediately thrown into a world of relationships. All around you, there are relationships. And then the next two decades, <laughs> this is basically what you're in right now. The next two decades, the name of the game is learning how to interact with each and every one of those relationships. Every single human being, you are thrown into this world and you are needing to learn what is the proper way that I interact with other people? What do I do and what do I not do with these relationships? You need to learn how to mind your manners. Now, have you ever seen a kid who has not learned this life skill yet? <laughs> Stop pointing, that's so messed up but I know I agree with you, right? How many of you have ever seen a kid? You've ever seen it, especially with young kids, you see a kid and they're kind of hilarious, but they have not learned proper etiquette for how to interact with other human beings. You know what I'm saying? I'll give you an example because I live with one of those people. Um, and before you think I'm being disrespectful to my wife, I'm talking about my three-year-old, okay? I'm gonna give you some examples. My three-year-old, his name is Micah, he's going on four. But Micah is still very much learning how to interact with other human beings, okay? And so when you, have a, some, when you have somebody come over to your house and you have company, what would you say as they walk into the door? You would say, hi, right? We learn that part of the etiquette. We learn that part of the script. What, what else would you say to a person coming into your house? Welcome. That would be on the script, right? Even if you need to consult your index cards, at least you would get it right. <laughs> Hello. Nice to see you insert name you Sam you know you do that not my kid my kid somebody walks into the house and dead straight face looks at me goes what are you doing here <laughs> like he's not even like see we laugh because it's like that's kind of disrespectful and yet hilarious but he has no idea what he's doing he legitimately wants to know what are you doing here are you here to play are you here? like he doesn't know but he hasn't learned the script yet right I'll give you another example um we, <laughs> I have this thing that I do with him, and again, it's dad humor, so humor me. But I'm like, hey, Micah, guess what? Chicken butt. He's like, oh, got me. You know, we do that. But now he's like gotten to the next level, and I go, hey, Micah, guess what? He goes, what? I say chicken butt. He goes, ha dad, guess what? I go, what? He goes, Pfft. and he farts. <laughs> like on cue. I'm like, I can't even do that. And he legitimately, like, and he'll aim at me too. And he's like, like gotcha. Like, boom. And he just like. Like, dude, what are you doing, right? And so at first, at first, I laugh. I'm like, that's hilarious. And then my second thought is, oh my gosh, if he does that when I have company, I'm dead. <laughs> like, I get to see one of my pastor friends coming over. You know what I mean? He's like, thou passest the bread. And Micah's like, Pfft. you know? This kid does not learn, he has not learned the rules. He has not learned how to mind his manners and interact. I brought him to the office last week and uh, he's now learning that superheroes have like identities under the mask. You know what I'm talking about? So he learned that Spider-Man is now Peter Parker. He's learned that Batman is now Bruce Wayne. Very good. Some of you were taking notes because you didn't know that. That's cool. And so Bruce Wayne is his favorite right now. So he walks into the office. One of the ladies I work with, her name is Brooke Weeks. Sounds like Bruce Wayne. He goes, what's your name again? At first he said, what are you doing here? You know? She's like, I work here. And he's like, what's your name again? I'm Brooke Weeks. He goes, I don't like your name. He wasn't being me because he said, I don't like your name. It's not Bruce Wayne. It's Brooke Weeks. And so she's laughing. And again, we laugh because kids have not learned the script. They have not learned how to interact with other people. 
He has not learned what to do and what not to do with other human beings. But, not, but all of you, you're not off the hook yet. As teenagers, you may not fart on people on cue. You may not tell people, what are you doing here? Or maybe you do, whatever. You're like, I was just told that five minutes ago. <laughs> but like, you're still learning how to interact with other humans, right? Like, you guys are still learning how to have a firm handshake. Like, you're learning how to make good eye contact when you talk to an adult. Like, some of you are taking mock interviews. All of that is teaching you how you conduct and how you navigate these different relationships. Some of you are like, handshake, check. Some of you, honestly, side note, y'all do need to work on your handshakes. Some of you are like, wet fish. I'm like, do I slap it? Do I shake it? Do I shoot it? Like, what is, what is happening here? You know, this is not, everybody hold up your hand. This is not a handshake. It's technically a handshake, but that's not what a handshake means, <laughs> okay? And so you're learning those things. You are learning how to conduct yourselves in other relationships. You're learning how to treat other people. And why are you learning how to treat other people like this? Because society has expectations, Okay, society has certain things that are acceptable and not acceptable. And so society wants you to be refined, cultured, couth. Okay, that's a word, write it down, couth. Society wants you to be acceptable. And when we see somebody that is not working according to societal expectations, we all cringe a little bit. You know what I mean? It's cringeworthy. And so here's my point. Here's my point. My point is not to talk about manners in society. My point is not to talk about how to have a good handshake. My point is this. In the same way that we were all born into a world of relationships, every single one of you who are Christians, the day that you were born again, you also were thrown into a world of relationships. And now that you're a Christian, everything changes. Now that you're a Christian, you need to learn how to conduct yourselves in all of the relationships around you. And I need to tell you this, because you may think you already know how to conduct yourselves in these relationships. But if you're a Christian, I'm telling you this, it changes. There are new expectations that you have to learn. You have to learn how to conduct those relationships and how to interact in a whole new way. And just like we cringe when we see a person that doesn't fit Society's expectations, as Christians, we cringe when we see other Christians not treat each other according to God's expectations. And so if you're a Christian, in God's kingdom, in God's society, how do you conduct yourselves in these relationships? How do you interact with other people? How do you treat people of the opposite sex? How do you treat your parents? How do you treat your kids? How do you treat your boss, how do you treat people who work for you when you're a boss? You're like, I'm already a boss, different type of boss. And how do you treat your friends who don't know Jesus? We gotta learn this, right? Just like you're learning how to have a handshake and how not to fart on people, as Christians, you need to learn how to conduct these relationships. How do you live as a follower of Jesus? And the reason we need to learn this is not so that you can be well-mannered, not so that you can be refined, not so that people think well of you. It's because our relationship with the Lord shapes our relationship with others. If you're a Christian, hear me tonight. And you may be new here. You may not even understand what we're doing, but this is my point. Your relationship with the Lord, if you have one, if you are a Christian, 
Your relationship with the Lord shapes your relationships with others. And you need to know what that looks like. And so Paul is writing to the Colossians. And I don't know them. I wasn't there. I don't know if the Colossians' relationships were cringeworthy or not. But I do know Paul wanted to teach them. And you and I tonight, if we can pay attention for a few moments, if you can dial with me, if we can go on this journey, I'm telling you, there is some valuable truth. There is some treasure here that you can learn that have a great impact on all of your relationships as a Christian. Because Paul wrote it down. The teaching, the instruction, he wrote it down and we have it captured in our Bibles. And for a few moments, I want us to go through those verses and see what our relationships look like. And what you and I are going to find is this, that our relationship with the Lord shapes our relationships with others. Are you ready? Do you want to know what your relationship should look like with others? You want to know that for real? Like, like honestly, I don't want to do this if you're not into it. Like, like, this is not like a lecture that I open up and I go, all right, unit number two, take out your notes, number two pencils. Like, this is not like school. This is not like mandated by the state. We do this because we're hungry. We do this because we don't want to be the same today that we were yesterday. We do this because we look back over our lives and we say, God, if you don't teach me, if you don't help me, I'm not going to grow. And so if you're here and you want to grow up, if you're here and you want to know the Lord more, if you're here and you want your faith to make a genuine impact and difference in your life, then good news for you. We're getting, we're getting started here. So is that you for real? Like, am I in a room of students right now that want to learn, or are you here because your mommy made you be? Don't answer that. Okay, right? You're like, well, I'm a sexual my dad, but I mean, who's keeping track? All right. Well, tell you what. Let's get in the car together. Come with me, I promise, and this will be really good. Are you ready? You guys are dead. What the flip is happening here, huh? Are you ready? All right, let's do it. So here's what we're going to do. Really quick, this is, my, this is my strategy. Yeah, get the excitement. Let's go, kid. Right? We're going to read a verse. And we're going to talk about it. You ready? Where's, you ready, Isaac? I need you, bro. All right, here we go. Here we go. We're going to start it here. Chapter 3, starting in verse 18. This is God's word. This is God's word. Wives. Where are all my wives at? Gotcha. Oh, thought I was saying ladies, right? Future wives. All right, we have one future wife. I'm so sorry. Trick question. She, but what if she is secretly married and she just confessed? That would be wild, huh? All right. Here we go. It's going to be small group wild this weekend. Here we go. Wives. Wives? Wives. Yeah, I'll go with that one. Wives. Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands. Where are my husbands at? <laughs> We play house. I'm always the daddy. All right. I'm always goofing on my dudes. Yo. Husband, husband, husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Let's just pause there because we're not going to get any further, right? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. First relationship that we see, we're going to see four. Everybody say four. We're going to see four relationships. And the first relationship we see, the first relationship that is shaped by your relationship with the Lord is that of a husband and a wife. And what we see is that in God's kingdom, marriages reflect the love of God. What if you guys did that every time I said a point? 
We have four points, four whistles. Can we coordinate some? I preached back on the East Coast. Back in, <laughs> you're like playing Battleship over here. We, uh, I, I preached back on the East Coast. You guys probably don't even care about this. I preached on the East Coast for New Year's Eve, and I was preaching at my home church, and I would say a point, and they would talk back to me, and I was like, and then I fell in love with it. I was like, marriages reflect the love of God. They're like, come on. I was like, I will. You know, it was just, it was awesome. So I'm not like saying you have to do that, but I'm like, I wouldn't hate it. You know, come on. All right. Marriage is so wild right now. Marriages reflect the love of God. How many of you know that God has a lot to say about marriage in the Bible? Right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm, you're going to do that like the worst time, right? I'm like, I was talking to my wife the other day. She's like, Yep. God has a lot to, let's just be real. God has a lot to say about marriage in the Bible. And you know why? Because he designed it. God literally designed marriage. He's the architecture. And here's the key. Here's the secret to understanding God's design of marriage. God designed marriage to be, to be an illustration. Let's do that again. Let's do that again. From the top, God designed marriage to be an illustration, okay? God designed marriage to reflect a certain truth. He designed it to be a picture of a much bigger reality than man and woman. God designed marriage to be an illustration of the following truth, his relationship with his people. Marriage is bigger than you. Marriage is more than just a being about you. He designed it to be a reflection of his relationship with his people. And so God, I, this is like what God is like. God's sitting on his throne, right? And he's looking at the watching world. And he says, you want to know how much I love you? You, you want to know what our relationship as God and people should look like? And you're like, yes, I would like to know that because you're my God and I'm your people. So maybe it would help, be helpful to have some information illuminating this relationship. He goes, great. Let me tell you what this is supposed to look like. And he walks over here and he points to marriage and he goes, like that. He created marriage so that he could show the watching world, this is what our relationship is to look like. This is what it's supposed to look like for you to follow me and to love me and to trust me. And this is what my love and faithfulness and provision looks like extended toward you. Marriage is supposed to be an illustration. And so what kind of marriage would be a good illustration. What kind of marriage would be fitting in the Lord, meaning appropriately reflecting this truth? What would that marriage look like? Well, a sweet one and a loving one and a romantic one. Those are good answers, but let's look at what the answers the Bible has, okay? Here's the kind of illustration that reflects this truth. And we're gonna go two halves of this relationship. And so ladies, ladies first. Here we go. Notice how I didn't say wives because, yeah. All right, ladies first. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Huh? What? Submit? What, what is this medieval stuff going on? Submit? What does submit mean? Let me explain to you what submit means. Submit is simply this, to recognize and honor authority. Okay? Oh, <gasps> he said the A word. Did you hear it? Authority. Dude, how many of you cringe a little bit when you hear the word authority? Right? You know why? Because our culture has jacked this up. 
Authority has become a dirty word. Authority has come to mean you're strict, you're mean, and you're domineering, and you kick people and say, listen to my authority. You know, and it's like, what? You know what authority is? Can I give you the most simple, like, basic definition of authority? Authority, what is, why are you tripping slides? Authority is simply this. Leadership. Is authority good or bad? Yes. Can you have good leadership? Can you have bad leadership? For sure. So when we say that wives submit, they are recognizing and honoring the leadership of their husband. That's all this is. And here's the, the, like, the reality. You're like, why is that so crazy? All of us are under authority. Every single one of you in this room are under authority. You have authority in your life. You are submitting. Every single one of you, you submit, meaning you recognize and you honor authority in your life. I'll give you some examples. Every single one of you, when you're in a classroom, whose authority, whose leadership are you submitted to? Very good. When you go to a job and you're now hired, whose authority are you under? The boss, very good. When you're on a sports team, whose authority are you under? The coach, very good. When you're in a family, whose authority are you under? Your parents, very good. When you go to a church, whose authority are you under? The pastor, God. <laughs> close, close, close. How about when you're in your entire life as a human being, not enrolled in any of those things? You're still under God. And so every single one of us is under authority. Every single context has authority and leadership. And so marriage is no different. Marriage has an organization of leadership. And so wives, women who aspire to be wives, listen to what this says, you're no different. Just like every other context in life, you are to recognize and honor leadership, which in marriage is simply your husband. Now, here's what we have to explain. Hey, ladies, come on, take a seat, take a seat, right? Ladies, here's what we have to understand because this is where our culture has taken it and hijacked it. This is how you get misogynistic religions and misogynistic and chauvinistic cultures because what we've done is we've changed the text to say this. These are all of our different relationships, right? We've changed it to say, women, submit to men. Does it say that? No. Does it say that? Like, if you're a woman, you're less than me because I'm a man, right? Is that what the Bible says? Look what it says. It says, submit, I'm your leader, aren't I? Because I'm your man. I'm a man. <laughs> Different. This does not say all of, <laughs> stop. This does not say all women submit to all men. This says wives submit to your husbands. This is not talking about an org chart in society. This is not talking about an org chart of, of, of value this is saying in a very specific context, in marriage, submit to your husbands. Wives, in the context of a loving marriage, you get to illustrate how God's people gladly and joyfully trust and follow God's lead. Marriage is an illustration. Ladies, that's your role. You get to show the watching world, this is what it looks like to joyfully and gladly trust a loving leader. It's an illustration. But there's two halves to this relationship, right? There are two halves to the reflection. And so ladies are first, but who's next? The boys. Everybody say, oh, dudes, where are you? I thought maybe, I thought maybe verse 19 would apply to you like in the next coming years. It sounds like you have a, at least a decade 
Um, puberty, maturity, we'll go in that order, okay? So husbands, it's your turn. And here's what he says. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Right off the jump, here's what we see. And this is so different than what our culture has to say. Love is not a feeling. I don't care what Bieber says. I don't care what the Jonas brothers are saying. Love is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. So I'm done with the songs that talk about love like it's this dangerous terrorist. I was just walking and minding my own business and all of a sudden I fell in love. I'm like, what? Love came out of nowhere and shot me like an arrow. I'm like, what? Like, like you're, you love that song. <laughs> love is not a feeling. Love is not something that you can't control and you're like, bro, it's not in my hands. I'm just affected by love. I'm like, where is he? I want to talk to him. Love is not a terrorist. Love is not a feeling. Quote that, tweet that. Love is not a terrorist. Take that to the bank. But our society, they talk about love like it's a feeling, don't they? They talk about love because it's something that you can fall into. And then if it's something you can fall into, it's something you can fall out of. And so our vows in today's society, the vows are no longer till death do us part. The vows are now until the feelings do depart. Until I feel it until I'm not into you anymore. Do marriages reflect the illustration that God designed it to be? No, they don't. And so husbands, he's talking to you. He says, I want you to love them. That doesn't mean have a feeling. That doesn't mean be like Romeo love. Remember, you guys probably weren't even, Courtney, were they here for Romeo love? When I reenacted Romeo and Romeo is like, you guys don't know Romeo love? How many of you have ever read Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, right? And this dude is hilarious. He was like my hero in high school because homie's like, I, Dolph, will never go out again tonight. My heart is broken. She, Dolph, broken my heart and I will never love again because my lover is never fixed. It is irreparable. And his bro's like, yo, homeo, we just got to go to the club. Yo, Romeo, you just got to go dancing, man. You just got to shake it off. He's like, no. If love is there, I don't want any part of it. He's like, there'll be good food. He's like, bet. All right, let's go. <laughs> and so he goes to the club, right? And he's like, never, never, no girl shall Dolph ever look in my eyes. And then he turns around, he sees Juliet, and he's like, woo, like that. <laughs> it's like, you just, like, literally one stanza, I'm done with love. And the next stanza, he's like, my eyes have never known beauty before this, <laughs> you know? And he's just like, ah. And I'm like, dang, dude, love is a fickle master, huh? Is that what love means? You see a girl and she's beautiful, you're like, oh, my heart, if this is beauty, I'd never want to see anything else again, you know? And it sounds cool, but that's not love. So what does he mean to love your wives? Well, in the book of Ephesians, he's given these same instructions. And he says, yo, guys, I want you to love your wives. I want you to love them. I want you, I want you to love them like Christ loved the church. And every guy goes, how much did Christ love his bride? He died for her. So dudes, let's get serious here. Love your wife. It doesn't mean have this feeling. It doesn't mean mushy-gushy. It means be willing to die for her. Be willing to put her needs before your own. Live sacrificiously. Live selflessly. And you may never die physically, but if you get married, men, you die every single day living for your wife. That's a harder type of death every single day. And he says, love your wives like this. Love her like that. 
Ladies, can I talk to you for a second? How different is that type of love than the ones that are illustrated in the books and in the movies, right? How different, ladies, is that kind of selfless, how beautiful and, and attractive is that kind of love, especially when you compare and contrast it to the passive, selfish, lazy manhood that is portrayed in television, right? Well, I got something to tell you, ladies. The men in this room, that's not us. And there's a movement right now, even among ladies and womanhood in society, where they say, forget men, men are horrible, men are stupid. And I promise you, it's because the men that you're looking at are not the type of men that the men in this room are striving to be. So don't give up on men, pray for them. Pray for your brothers in Christ, because we are waging war against our sin. We know that one day we're gonna need to be selfless and die for our wives, so we're trying to be selfless now. Pray for us, ladies, help us out. And so dudes, we are to grow up and love our wives like this. You know why? You know why, guys? Do you know why I can stand up here and get passionate about this? I want you to grow up and be the kind of men that love your wives, not so that people can see how loving you are through your Instagram, but so that people can see how loving God is through your marriage. This is bigger than you, dudes. This is bigger than you, ladies. So here's how it works. Husbands, you love your wives in a self-sacrificing, selfless way. And women respond to that type of loving leadership by honoring and following the leadership of their husbands. And like a puzzle piece, these are complementary roles. They are different, yet they fit perfectly to accomplish something bigger than you. Marriages reflect the love of God. Come on. All right, marriages reflect the love of God. And so a few years ago, I was teaching this kind of stuff, right? I was teaching the first wedding. Some of you guys may have been there for that and teaching about carry on and all the things you need to learn from marriage. And I had a student come up to me afterwards and he goes, Sam, Sam, Sam. They all talk to me like that. Yo, Sam, how you doing? Yo, how you doing? How you doing, young? How's the family? How's Tony? All right, cool, all right. Tell Carmine, I said hello. And he's talking to me. And he goes, uh, he goes, this is cool and all, but like, I'm not married yet, so why do I even like need this? Why don't I just wait until I'm married and then I'll read those verses? I said, great idea, we'll do that. Nah, no, I didn't say that. You know what I said to him? I said, here's what this means for teenagers, right? And it, it was a good challenge because you're, like right now, you could legitimately be sitting here, Garrett, and saying, I'm not a husband, tune out, right? You could be sitting here, Lenny, and saying, I'm not a wife, tune out. But here's what this means for teenagers, the bar has been set. As teenagers, you have the opportunity to look ahead to what you are potentially being called to. You have an opportunity to look ahead and understand what marriage is supposed to be. And now, because you know where you're going, you could spend today in light of that day. You could spend these young years of singleness and growing up and maturity and all these things. And you can spend these years preparing for those years. And that's what we do here at Citizens Youth. We're not ignoring this until we're married. We realize that the high standard for marriage material has been made clear. We need to be mature and godly men and women. And so guess what we're doing? We're pursuing them. And so here's what we do at Citizens Youth. Teenagers, we're not married yet. We pursue these things. We pursue integrity. 
We don't want to be double lives. Every single one of you has or is or has been tempted to live a double life. You know what I'm talking about. You're a teenager. I was one. End of story. But I'm a good boy. Shut up. You know what I'm talking about. All right? We all know what it's been like to have on the church face and then the school face and then the friend face and then the, the like, don't look at this face because it's too early in the morning face, you know? So integrity, purity. Oh, guys, can I talk to you as like your big brother tonight? Your generation is being slaughtered on the battlefields of purity. And the enemy knows, ladies, I'm talking to you, dudes, I'm talking to you. The enemy knows that God wants to present you to each other as man and wife on your wedding day, pure to one another. And so the enemy is trying to spoil it as much as he can. The enemy says, yeah, Jesus may have made them pure already in their status, but I'm going to ruin that. I'm going to make them, I'm going to engage in sexual morality, and I'm going to attempt, and you're just, your whole generation is being slaughtered. Welcome to Citizens Youth. We talk about porn here. Welcome to Citizens Youth. We talk about sexual immorality here. Welcome to small groups. We confess sin. Welcome to camp. We talk about big issues. You're like, <gasps> grow up. We want to be pure because the standard has been set. We talk about responsibility. This is not a room of lazy dudes. And so maybe you've come in here before and you're like, yeah, I'm lazy because I'm a high schooler and that's what's expected of me, so I'm chilling. And then you see other dudes walk around here and they're handing out Bibles and they're putting pens and they're sitting up and taking notes and you're like, yeah, yeah. Like, it's just, it's part of our ethos. We're pursuing responsibility, godliness, maturity, life direction. Love talking to 13-year-olds and they're like, I found the one I'm gonna marry. I go, yeah? Yeah, I'm going to ask her to be mine. No way. Cool. When are you going to be in like six years? Like, cool. Like, what are you going to do for a career? I don't know. Live in my mom's basement. She'll give us a pretty decent allowance. She owes me one. It's like, what? Like, direct, like, we're looking. Part of growing up as adults is having a sense of direction. You can't ask somebody to get in the car with you when you don't know where you're going. So that's why here we talk a lot about career and where are you going? What's the direction for your life? Your image, body image. Ladies, you're being slaughtered out there. Everything, right? And everything is saying you're not pretty enough. You're not the right size. You're not tall enough. You're not short enough, whatever it is. And then what we do is, instead of learning to find our identity and our image in Christ, we post on Instagram because it feels good when people say, no, you're prettier. No, you're prettier. No, you're more beautiful. And then secretly you go, okay, you win. <laughs> so you can be the kind of woman who's 29, 30, 31, 30. You can struggle with those things all the way into your adulthood, or you can learn right now that God made you just how he made you, and you find your identity in him. Because if you don't handle those things now, you're going to bring that into your marriage, depending on God. I was the kind of kid who I could not be alone. And you're like, you? Loved people? No. <laughs> like it literally, like that was like a couple years of high school for me where I literally could not get alone and be quiet in my own space. And the Lord had to take away every single person out of my life and bring me to an extremely lonely place so that I could learn to depend on God and not need other people. And now I can be a good friend because when I'm being a friend to someone, it's not because I need them and I'm really selfishly being in their company. I can serve them. And the list can go on and on. But the point is, teenagers, use this season of life to pursue these things so that one day you can be a husband that loves your wife and you can be a wife who honors and submits to your husband's leadership. A lot of you have heard of the MacBook talk, right? You understand how we talk about dating here at Citizens. We do dating way different. You haven't heard the MacBook, Arden. I saw your face. We'll talk about it. Summer camp, come to a breakout session. Probably guys only, but you're allowed to come in, okay? 
It'll be good, yeah. And so we talk about dating here way different than high school because I gotta be careful not to go off here. This will be a breakout session, I promise. But in high school, here's the formula for dating. Ready? Boy walks into a room. Boy sees girl. Boy likes girl. There is spark. Boy asks girl to become exclusive relationship and now they date. Three weeks later, they finally get to know each other's name and they realize, whoa, I don't even like you. Boy leaves girl. Girl's devastated for four and a half years. Boy's ready for football game on Friday night. What was her name again? Romeo! Like that was, that was it. That's high school dating. And you're like, no, that's not true. It's six weeks. <laughs> We're celebrating our four month and a half anniversary. Dude, here's the way we talk about dating here at Youth Group. It's very simple. This is how we conduct relationships. We say this, the point of dating is to find a spouse. We think dating is super serious, right? I'm not saying you have to marry the person you date. That's stupid because the point of dating is to get to know each other and go, are we good for marriage? And if you come to a no decision, you go, oh, it's not good for us. And everybody goes, it was a fail. And I go, that was a win because they realized it was not good. All right, so that, that's that. But here's the point. The point of dating is to find a spouse. And so my simple question is this. Are you ready to have a spouse? No, not for another seven years. Then why don't you wait for another seven years before looking for one? Why are you in the Apple store messing around with the MacBook equipment if you have no money in your pocket, right? And so again, we will expand on that metaphor. But wait a minute, but we both know that we like each other and everybody else knows. So what? Tell them to grow up. Boys like girls. <gasps> girls like boys. Yes. <laughs> That's good. It means everything's working. Boys are allowed to like girls. But I thought you said we were supposed to not even look at it. What? Guys, there are crushes and there are dynamics and there are sparks. And guess what? Despite what high school says to you, you don't have to act on them. <laughs> Wait a minute. You mean that I can be in a community of friends and we all kind of know that we like each other and yet we're not doing anything about it? Uh-huh. <laughs> but why would I do that? because I'm not ready to be married yet. But I want to put her on layaway and lock her up to make sure nobody else gets her. <laughs> Say that out loud to her. <laughs> She'll run away, you know? So we're not anti-dating. We're not anti-liking people. We want you to like people. It's good. That's part of growing up. That's part of aspiring to the standard. I want every single one of you one day to get married if that's God's will for your life. And perhaps some of you have been called. The Bible talks about the very special calling and gifting of singleness. <gasps> what? Yeah. I have friends who've been single their whole life because that, they feel like that is God's allotment on their life. Me? Nah. I knew at a very young age that was not my gifting. But we don't make fun of that. Like that, that. But that's a gift. My point being, if you feel called to be married one day, spend this day in light of that day. Don't get caught up in the high school dating pressures and relationships. Sam, what do I do if I already know that she likes me and I like her? Don't become exclusive dating relationship. Why do you have to put a title on it? Beep, 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 beep. Exactly. Okay. Treat them the way that you would treat any other friend, in the way that you talk to them, in the way that you touch them, and in the way that you, the, the, the communication, the, your, your physical touch, um, their time. And my favorite is when I'm like, all right, Sam, we listened to your talk. We're going to be healthy biblical friends rather than an exclusive title. But I spend seven days a week at her house. We, have a non, we still have not put a period down on this four-day-long text message, and we kiss. Friends don't kiss. Normal friends don't talk that incessantly. 
and that's just, you're, you're going to be sick of each other. It's like the Oreo cookies. You're like, if one Oreo cookie is good, then 27 Oreo cookies is good. <laughs> and then you're like, I don't understand. We're just like not jiving anymore, and I just kind of hate their guts because you filled your guts. All right, sorry, enough said. But do you get why we do things differently here? It's because we're looking at a standard called marriage, and in God's kingdom, marriages reflect the love of God. Come on, here we go. Verse 20, let's keep going here. All right, remember the MacBook. Here we go. Children, how many of you are children? <laughs> yeah, like oof. <laughs> yep, I'm a child. Here we go. Children, here's what you need to learn. Children, children, children. Childs, chitlins, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. In God's kingdom, marriages reflect the love of God, and children and parents know their roles. Children and parents, they understand their roles. So children, they obey their parents. And here we go again. We're seeing order in relationships. We're seeing a sense of leadership in this relationship. Children are to obey their parents, not because it's good manners, not because society requires it, not because it's against the law to not do so, but because, why? This pleases the Lord. Doing a lot of that tonight, aren't I? Here's the point. It literally pleases God when you honor and obey your parents. It literally glorifies his design and his sovereign plan when you honor your mother and father. No matter how imperfect your parents are, you're honoring God's design. <laughs> this is called youth pastor suicide when your first two points of your message are countercultural dating and obey your parents. <laughs> oh man, I... I Whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's the Bible, right? Like you cannot build youth ministry saying, come to my youth group. I'm going to tell you how to date and obey your parents. People are like, nah, dude, I can just watch YouTube. <laughs> but we go through the Bible here. And that's why if you're new, you look around, like we still have a youth group. Because even when stuff is hard, like we're hungry for this. And we trust God's design. We do. And so children, we obey our parents. This is extremely countercultural, okay? <laughs> this we don't live in a society that encourages you to obey your parents. We live in a society that encourages you to disobey them and then we make Disney movies about you and glorify you. Moana disobeyed her parents to save the world. You know, it's like, oh, bummer. Really? You know? So this is countercultural, but this is God's design. Obey your parents. You're like, I never thought of Moana that way. Think about it. All right? It's a lot of movies like that. I'll be on the movie podcast. I can make a, my debut, all right? I'll be there. And so children obey their parents, but like other relationships, it's a two-way street. So what's the other side of children? Parents, right? And so we have fathers, parents. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Parents are not to wield their authority like tyrants. Parents are not supposed to lead in such a way that provoke their children to disobey. I can imagine Paul talking to, talking to some parents in his small group. And he's like, yo, parents, listen to this. Your children already have their hormones that are making it difficult on them to obey you. Don't add to the difficulty. Right? Your children already have this inner compulsion that everything inside of them is saying, don't listen to mom and dad. Don't do things that are going to discourage them from obeying you, right? 
Don't discourage them. Don't speak to them in a way that tears them down. Instead, build them up. Encourage them. And before I move on, let's talk about this, okay? Because just like marriages, like I said earlier, just like marriages, the children-parent relationship on the whole is broken into today's society. It is. It's broken, just like marriage is far from the design. Parents and children, and, and those of you who are in here, I know some of you, you have beautiful parents and you have a great relationship. That is awesome. Lean into that. That is beautiful. But at the same time, I know many of you in here who this is broken. And you've never had a parent who encourages you and inspires godliness in your life. You've never had a parent who can illustrate for you the love and faithfulness of God. Here's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus Christ has literally come and given you access into a perfect family. He's given you access to a perfect father, a father who is in heaven. And because of what Jesus has done, we can look to God and say, our father in heaven. And then not only do you have God as your father, but you have godly men and women who, who can demonstrate for you the love of God. And they're called spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers. And then you have spiritual brothers and spiritual sisters. And so maybe every time the Bible talks about the family, maybe that's a sore spot for you. But be encouraged by the gospel. We're family. We're family. And you can know the love of a father through the godly men around you. You can know the love of a mother through the godly women around you. You can know the love and camaraderie of spiritual siblings in the family of God. It's called the church. And so in God's kingdom, children and parents, they know their roles, okay? Halftime. Halftime, okay? First two relationships, marriage and parenting, those are inside the house, okay? Everybody say inside. Those are inside our home. Those are inside the house. But now the last two relationships are outside the house, okay? Outside of our immediate family. And we pick it up in verse 22. Bond servants, where are my bond servants at? <laughs> bond servants, obey in everything. You're like, I thought the wives were cool. I was not bond servants. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Third relationship here. Christians recognize authority as God-given. Yo, you are tripping. This is, this is not my home field advantage clicker. So, um... Christians recognize authority as God-given. So we're talking about bond servants, like who are kind of like slaves, but they're indentured servants and masters. Here's the easiest way to think about this and apply this to your life. The easiest way to understand this relationship, think of any context in which you have a leader in authority over you. Any context in which you have a leader over you. Maybe it's a boss. How many of you have a boss? I'm just curious. Cool. How many of you have a coach? How many of you have teachers? You're like, no, I'm homeschooled. <laughs> I respect that, right? How many of you have a youth pastor? Oh, 
oh, gotcha. You got it. Yay, Morgan, right? You got to respect that, right? So think of this, any context in which you have leadership. And so Paul is talking to the follower first. And the first thing he says is this. He says to obey in everything. Obey in everything. You have authority. And the world wants to tell you this. Authority is bad. Authority keeps you from being you. Authority keeps you from doing you, boo. Do you, boo, boo, right? Like authority is bad. They're the enemy. Stick it to the man, diosis, okay? But what the Lord says, authority is not bad. He says, honor it. Obey your authority. You know why? It's crazy, Liv. You know why? Because as you're treating your authority, you're actually serving the Lord Christ. And everybody who has ever said something behind their teacher's back said, ouch. When you disrespect your teacher behind their back, when you disrespect your boss to his face, when you do just enough to get by, when you catch an attitude and you disrespect those in authority, Paul is saying you're actually doing that to Jesus. But on the flip side, when you honor authority, when you obey them, when you listen to them and you show them the reverence due their position, you will receive, oh, she can't me, man. Clicker, you will receive from the Lord the inheritance as your reward. Jesus will reward you for honoring your authority because you're actually serving him. It's that simple. It's that simple. And so what he's saying to you is, here's what not to do, okay? What you should not do well, how many of you are under authority? Let, let me, let's go. Whose authority are you under? Quickly. Whose authority are you under? Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. Whose authority are you under? Everybody's like, you, you was pastor. You, you was pastor. It's like just being a cult. Uh, Garrett. Your parents. Good. What other authority are you under? Your husband. Let's, you were paying attention. She's like, verse one. Ah. What else? Who, your coach. Good. What else? Your wives? It's plural. He's like, my wives. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> I can't recover from that. That's awful. <laughs> Maybe he's Mormon. All right, cool. Well, whose authority are you on? Whose authority are you under? Your parents. Good. All right, moving on. Here we go. So now, all right. So here's the question. You're all under authority. You're all under authority. Here's the question. Here's the question. Shh, 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 shh. How do you treat them? You're all under authority. Ask yourself, how do you treat them? No, 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 no. To yourself. Like, be honest. How do you treat the authority that you're under? We all know what it's like to play the game, don't we? You're like, I know a guy, yeah, yeah, she plays the game, he plays the game. We all know what it looks like to obey authority with lip service, to say the right things, to do just enough to get by, or as he says here, to, be, to have eye service as people pleasers. This is all of you in this room that you talk to your friends during my sermon, and then when I look at you, you go, <laughs> and you pretend like you were chewing gum, and you smile at me, and I'm like, yeah. And then I turn around and I stop looking at you, and you keep talking to your friends. Too soon? Too soon? I, I mean, like... And I don't take it personally. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm a pretty confident guy. And if the room was empty, I'd be talking to myself anyway. So I don't take it personally. But for your sake, you need to understand this. That is super disrespectful. I'm just being honest. That is super disrespectful. I was here last week and Courtney was preaching. And I sat behind a row of you guys. And I won't point to where the row was. I'm just kidding. But I, I sat behind students. And, like, you guys talked the entire time. That was super disrespectful. 
And it's not because we're like immature and we need you to like us. Like that's not it at all. But for your sake, the way that you treat authority, you're treating Jesus that way. And so I love you. Don't like, we're all taking our lumps. It's cool. Just learn, just learn, internalize that. Process that with the Lord. How are you respecting your authority? Is it by way of eye service, just as long as they're looking and then you do your own thing? Or is it from your heart? Are you honestly honoring them from your heart? Let's keep moving on. So we have the followers, but then he also talks to masters, okay? He talks to leaders, and just like parents, masters are not to wield their authority like tyrants, okay? You should not have bosses that are like, I'm the king, I hate you, I don't even care about you, do what I say. That's not a good boss, okay? We still honor their authority, we still honor their leadership. I may recommend that you quit your job if you have that opportunity, because that's bad leadership. But the point is, Though even those opportunities are opportunities to respect the Lord, right? So, but masters are not supposed to be like that. They're supposed to treat their followers justly and fairly. Why? Because they also have a master. It's like a threat. <laughs> it's like Jesus making a subtle threat. He's like, hey, yo, master, make sure you treat your follower kindly. Why? Because you also have a master. He's like, noted, <laughs> you know? So, so that's masters, that's followers. And what do they do? They know that authority is from the Lord. Let's keep moving on here. Our last relationship. Everybody say last relationship. Verse two. I want you to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Here's a final relationship. In God's kingdom, outsiders are pursued with the gospel. Outsiders are pursued with the gospel. See the empty chairs next to you? Point to an empty chair. Okay. Now here's what I want you to understand. I said a moment ago that we're a family, right? We love our family. We love the family that God has put us in but we're mindful of those who are not in the family yet. I'm mindful of the students at Mountain View High School. I'm mindful of the students at Union High School. I'm mindful of the students at Firmly Planted who are not planted in these chairs yet. I'm mindful of the people who have not heard the gospel, who have not heard the good news that God will save them and forgive them and bring them to the family. We're mindful of them, community. We engage in mission and we pursue them. And so what do we do? Look what Paul says. He says, pray. Dude, I'm selfish when I pray. You know what I sound like when I pray? I sound like my three-year-old. Give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I need. Please, please, please help me, help me, help me. And but look at the maturity in Paul's prayer life. He says, here's how I want you to pray. Pray that I would have an opportunity to declare the gospel to people that haven't heard it. Do you pray that way? Do you pray that your friends who don't know Jesus would hear the gospel? Do you pray that you would have that opportunity to tell them the gospel? No, no, no. I pray that God would send them a missionary. <laughs> a missionary to math class? <laughs> Look in the mirror, <laughs> you know? I'll never forget. It was youth group. It was my senior year of high school, and I was in a message similar to this, and the youth pastor challenged me, and he said, what are you waiting for? 
Why are you not asking the Lord to give you opportunities to share the gospel? And so I went up to the front and I got on my knees and I was crying. And the Lord just put it on my heart so heavily. Pray for your friends to hear the gospel. Pray for your friends to hear the gospel. So I'm there and I'm praying. I go, God, please give them the gospel. God, please tell them about Jesus. And I'm praying and I'm crying it out. And then the Lord, I, I hear him put back on my heart. He says, now pray that you would be the one that answers that prayer. God, use me to preach the gospel. And I prayed it. The next day, I kid you not, the next day, I swear on everything I love, I'm sitting in biology class in homeroom, and my dude Chris, Chris Carnes, you can call him up and ask him. He's sitting there, and straight up out of the blue, turns to me in his chair in the middle of homeroom, he says, have you ever wondered if there's actually a God? And I was just like, <laughs> what? Are you joking me? And in that moment, the Holy Spirit gave me courage to do what I prayed. And I said, we should talk after school today. And so me and him, instead of getting on the bus, we kicked it after school. It was a beautiful day outside. We went to one of the picnic benches on campus. And I brought my Bible. And I just started telling him my story. And now he's the lead pastor at this church. No, I'm just kidding, right? That's, that's, like, <laughs> that's, like, that's like how the stories are supposed to end. No, dude, the, the, for the next few months as we ended senior year, dude came to youth group with me. He heard the messages. Lord planted a seed. Do you pray for those opportunities? Paul says we pursue outsiders, number one, by praying, and then number two, by the way that we walk. We walk in wisdom. We walk in wisdom. How do we walk in wisdom? Two things. We use our time and we use our words. You only have so much time with your fellow students. You only have so much time with the people who are in your life right now. Are you making the most use of it? Are you making the most use of it? Make the most use of your, of your time and use your words. May they be seasoned with salt. May they be gracious. May they be life-giving. Christians, we're learning how our relationships are affected and shaped by our relationship with the Lord. And when it comes to outsiders, we pursue them with the gospel. We pursue them with the gospel. And so we learn that our marriages reflect the love of God. We learn that children and parents understand their roles. We understand that, God, that authority is a God thing. And finally, we pursue others with the gospel. These are our relationships. You are in a world of relationships. And so what we need to remember as we are being built up, as we're growing into maturity, as you are becoming solid, young men and women who are godly and mature, you need to remember that our relationship with the Lord shapes our relationships with others. Our relationship with others. And so here's how we're going to end. We're going to end differently tonight. And jump up here. You can play on the piano, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to get in groups of two or three, four max, because I want you to talk. And I want you to talk with each other, and I want you to answer this question. Which relationship, out of these four, which relationship are you going to pray that the Lord helps you to grow in? Which of these relationships need to be shaped and informed by the fact that you are a son or a daughter of the living God? For none of you, it will be marriage, all right? But it may be your relationship with the opposite sex. It may be how you're preparing for marriage. For some of you, it's your parents. For others of you, it's your authority, whether it's your job or your teachers or your coach. Or maybe for some of you, you'll be convicted about your, the way that you treat your friends. 
So right now, let's do some family chaos. Anna's playing. I want you to get in groups of three or four. You're going to share your answer, and then you're going to pray, and then I'll close in prayer and dismiss us. So everybody stand, group up, do whatever you got to do. Stand, sit, wherever you are.